Before we begin, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters, and communities. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger. Today, we're focusing on the fundamental questions of how health professions are and should be regulated to protect the public to ensure safe and high quality care. We spoke to Professor Kieran Walsh in late February 2020, before the COVID-19 pandemic descended on us. However, his insights resonate now as safe and high quality healthcare is as important as ever. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger, and today I'm here with Professor Kieran Walsh. Welcome, Kieran. Thank you. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about your background as a researcher. Yeah, sure. So I, I work at the University of Manchester in the UK, and I've been a researcher in health policy and health management for most of my, my career. I've worked elsewhere in the UK and in the US, um, and I've also um, been involved in regulation and regulatory reform in the UK um, with government and with some of our regulatory agencies uh, and worked as as a leading research funder as well. So I've tended to have an academic career, but spend quite a bit of my time outside the university. I'd love it if we can sort of start at the beginning. We're thinking about health practitioner regulation. What's it all about? What's the point of this? Um, well, I think there's an intellectual answer to that, which is that the purpose of this is to make sure that we deliver safe, high-quality care and to make sure that practitioners are fit to practice in, in their chosen professions. Um, I think for most of us, there's a, a more emotional response to it as well, which is that if we are a patient if or if a member of our family is a patient, we go and see a doctor or a nurse or a physiotherapist, we want to know that we're going to get high-quality care and that will be safe and that will be cared for properly and compassionately and the person who's doing it is, is is fit to do that. They've got the right training, but they also have the right human motivations and values and qualities. I suppose on the other end, then, maybe, what are some of the problems, you think, that health practitioner regulation is trying to fix? Regulators of the health professions get given uh, all sorts of things to tackle. Some of them that they're asked to do, some of them they, they simply surface, some of them are just emerging out of kind of the wider societal context. So the, the core focus is about safe, high quality care, but then out of societies, you know, wider functioning come all kinds of other issues for them to deal with, which can be to do with workforce supply, and the scarcity of health professionals can be to do with problems which emerge in wider society. For example, if you think about the exposure of problems around child sexual abuse and around child pornography, um, that's an area where regulators have had to respond to something that's happened in society that 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't think any of the regulators would have seen on their agenda. So I think the challenge for regulators is to sort of try to keep focused on their overall mission, purpose whilst dealing with the processes that they have to run to, to be a regulator, to register people, to make sure that education is fit for purpose, and to deal with concerns, problems, or complaints about individual practitioners, mm. which can become all-consuming. There's an expression, you know, the, the, the process becomes the purpose. And if mm. you're not careful as a regulator, you're, you're, all your effort ends up invested in running the register, running your mm. complaint system, dealing with discipline, dealing with fitness to practice. And it's hard for you, you need to keep stepping back and asking that bigger question about how all of this is serving your mission. A great segue into something else I wanted to ask you about, which is the fact that 
regulators actually have some choices. You've written a bit about that, and they could choose about whether they, for example, you talk about the um, choice between being statute-driven or mission-led. Can you talk a bit about some of those choices and what they look like? Regulation all, all sort of has its origin in, or, or is grounded in legislation, isn't it? So every regulator has some kind of piece of founding legislation which sets out why we have a regulator, what the regulator's there to do, and quite often in, in a lot of detail says what their powers and their duties are uh, and how they might behave. Um, and, and one approach to being a regulator is to take that as your Bible, to have a, a literalist interpretation, mm. which says, well, if it's not in the Act, then it's not something that we're here to do. Uh, and that has advantages to it. You can't often be challenged about what you do because you simply point to the legislation. Mm. But it may mean that you're not tackling the real issues and problems to do with safe and high-quality patient care. Um, you may not be tackling problems which weren't really thought about or anticipated when your legislation was framed. The, the alternative approach is to think really hard about what your mission is mm. and then to treat your legislation as, as a toolbox, if you like, a set of set of approaches that you can use and a set of powers and duties that you can deploy. But to recognise that some of what you do, perhaps even quite a lot of what you do, will be in a sense extra legislative. It won't be directly mandated by your act, but it would be recognised as common sense and important and necessary. And it will be accepted by registrants, importantly, mm. as something that the regulator should be concerned about. The downside risk of that is that People think there's a kind of regulatory creep that you're mm. actually extending the range of things the regulator is concerned with. But the upside is perhaps that you can be more focused on the real issues and problems and, and less driven by what it says in an act that, in an act that might have been drafted 15 or, or 20 years ago. In terms of one staying relevant, I suppose, but also um, kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of what actually um, that definition of what is patient safety and what does patient safety look like maybe to the public as well, would you say? Yes, I, th I think so. And I think the public expect regulators to look after the set of things they've been asked to care about by society on behalf of society, because that's what happens with regulators. We hand to the regulator a set of powers mm. and a responsibility to look after whatever it is, whether it's the, you know, the fitness to practice of healthcare professionals or the clean air and clean water in our environment, or if it's the way in which banks behave and the way they treat their customers. You know, the regulator gets this specialised task to deal with because it's a lot to expect of individual consumers mm -hmm. to exercise agency and, and pursue their rights on, on their own behalf. And that's what, what regulators are there to do. If, if, if what they have is a, a literalist view of their purpose, which says that, you know, it says in the legislation that we look at these three issues and that's therefore what we look at, it's a rather kind of poverty-stricken, slightly self-defeating mm -hmm. view of their regulatory remit. From what you're saying, regulators have a lot of choice within that legislation. There's still choice about, for instance, whether they, being a regulator that, say, reacts to sort of failure and looks at that bottom piece only, um, as opposed to one that pushes health professionals, for example, to improve. Yeah, and, and that's that. That's an important, but I think a false dichotomy, this idea of, you know, as a regulator, should you be concerned with just the poorly performing practitioners or organisations, the, the, the safety net, if you like, below which you don't want anybody to fall, and you spend all your time on 5% of the, the health professionals whose performance gives serious cause for concern, or should you be worried about the, the larger group of professionals, 100% of professionals, a whole spectrum of performance, and trying to help all of them in various ways to improve. And, and it seems to me a, 
a false dichotomy because you should obviously be concerned with doing both. Mm. Uh, you can't neglect the 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 five percent. They're really important, and they're probably the people who, if we can't look after them and help them and deal with them effectively, may do harm to patients. Mm. But we we should also be concerned about the broader profession, the mainstream of the profession, and how we can help those people to improve. Because if all we worry about is the 5%, we're, we're neglecting to think about and to try and improve. Absolutely. Are there clearly some ways that are better than others in terms of that that balance and how you protect the public? I think the question you, you have to keep asking yourself as a regulator is whether what you're doing is contributing to that, that end goal of in, ensuring safe and high-quality care. And so you have a set of tools you can use. You can use complaints and investigations. You can undertake inspections. You can use mechanisms that require authorization to undertake particular activities. Um, you can you can engage in programs of work which are not directly regulatory, supporting, for example, education mm. and the bringing together of peers and processes of peer review. You can do all of those things. You can produce guidelines and publications. And in each of those cases you need to be thinking about how this helps you to do that kind of end mission. What often happens as, as a regulator is that the, you know, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? The urgent drives out the important. Mm. So the, the thing that often dominates health professions regulators is fitness to practice. Because once you get a notification or a concern or a complaint, yeah. Yeah. a kind of process starts, mm. which is really hard to sort of modify or stop. Um, and where you know you'll be held to account for the timescales in which it's been done and the rigour with which it's been undertaken. And so if you're not careful, you end up with a, a, a model in which fitness of practice is the kind of tail wagging the regulatory dog. Mm. Everything we do is about fitness to practice. Fitness to practice obviously really, really matters, but it's only one part of the responsibilities of a, of, a, of a good regulator. We shouldn't be completely focused on notifications, Couldn't shouldn't be completely about this, that one piece, that complaint. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that, that, that regulators often end up doing is having a, um, a one-size-fits-all approach to issues or problems. So saying that, okay, well, if we have a notification, this is our process and this is the process that we follow. Um, the, the risk there, one-size-fits-all approaches are almost inherently ineffective or, or inefficient certainly because notifications uh, about concerns can concern something very straightforward and simple uh, and relatively trivial or they can concern something enormously important and really serious they're highly heterogeneous so it makes a lot of sense for those but also for all sorts of other regulatory problems to have a, a, an approach that's quite um diversified mm. and that's also quite responsive in, mm. in the sense that what you do depends partly on how the health professions you regulate professionals that you regulate respond mm. so if people show insight mm. and if they show concern um, and if they demonstrate remediation you treat them differently don't you than yeah. from somebody who doesn't show any insight who doesn't show any apparent concern and who appears resistant to remediation so trying to find ways of being a responsive regulator mm. who deals differently with these things is, is important. Often what you get pushed back into doing is having a single process because it's more mm. it's more simple, it's mm. more defensible quite often. You can't be argued to be treating different people mm. differently Looks because consistent. you treat everybody the same. Mm. At least it's fair, is it? But it's certainly not proportionate. It's not a great use of resource. So taking your example of notifications, you know, one of the challenges for all health professions regulators 
is an ever upward trend mm. in the number of concerns or complaints or notifications. So finding effective and efficient ways of dealing with those mm. and dealing with them appropriately mm. uh, and intelligently mm. and sympathetically, humanely, yeah. but also using rigour where it's really needed yeah. um, is important. Again, taking the regulator's mind back to the focus being on public yeah. safety, not on clearing out all the notifications that we're getting in. Yeah, yeah. Right? if we're not careful, our, our metric becomes, you know, how many notifications did we deal with and close this this, how this, quickly? this month or this quarter or this mm. year, mm. rather than how well did we do it. Mm. Mm. That's right. And probably practitioners and the public will judge us on the latter. Yeah, for practitioners and the public, for those who don't engage in directly with the regulator because they haven't been either the subject of a, of a concern or a complaint or been a person who's raised a concern or a complaint, their understanding of this is, is really quite distanced yeah. and, and quite mm. um, it's very much shaped by what they hear from other people mm. or what they see in the media. But for the people who are part of the process, we, we know that for health professionals and for, for, for patients, their perceptions of the process are fundamentally shaped by, by how well it works, by timeliness, um, by the behaviour of the individuals mm. involved, by their sense in which it, it has been just and appropriate and fair, um, and by their acceptance or non-acceptance of the outcome. You've talked, spoken and written about what we know about the social and interpersonal dynamics of regulation, and um, I think that's really interesting. Can you tell us a bit about that? There's lots of literature to say that, that the way that regulation is a social process, and so the way people perceive regulatory interactions like an investigation or an inspection by a regulator is shaped by the people who do it um, mm. and for you if you're a patient or if you're a healthcare professional you think about the regulator very much in terms of the people who you have met who deliver that intervention so they in a sense personify the, the regulator so if they behave in ways that are directive if they assert their authority if they're rude if they're dismissive, then that's what you think about the regulator. Equally, if they are human, if mm. they give you dignity, if mm. they listen to what you say, and if they treat what you say seriously, then you perceive them perceive them differently. So mm. th the people who do it are hugely important. And we probably it's probably fair to say most regulators don't invest enough time and effort in training and developing the regulatory staff who who, who do regulation mm. um, and thinking about the way in which they build and sustain positive regulatory relationships. Positive regulatory relationships are not about being just cosy and friendly and nice to everybody and things like that because mm. regulators sometimes have to uncover and deal with really unwelcome truths. Mm. But they can still do that in a way that is as we've said, you know, treats people with compassion and dignity, whether they are patients or, or healthcare professionals. In a way, it's, I suppose it's like healthcare. Um, yeah. A lot of healthcare does boil down to that um, that human element, a good connection, a good communication. Was I listened to some of those things that are important in healthcare are also, it sounds like, really fundamentally important in the regulation I of I think healthcare. so, and I think it's a hard job to do well. Mm. Uh, and, and it can be easier to it's retreat to being more mm. transactional, you know, rather than to talking somebody talking to somebody face to face, it can be easier to write them an email or a letter. So helping regulatory staff to 
be empowered to to behave in the ways that you want them to behave and supporting them in doing that and training them to do that and recruiting them to do that all seems to matter well kieran thank you so much for your insights they are uh, really important and um part of an ongoing conversation for us i suppose so thanks for taking the time with us today thank you Thanks for listening to this episode. If you have any feedback or questions, please email communications at opera.gov.au. We're starting to provide transcripts of all episodes. To access those, search for podcasts on the Opera website. To hear more episodes of our podcast, please subscribe to Taking Care wherever you get your podcasts or just search for Taking Care on the Opera website.